This is Emmanuel Today. Taking steps towards God's possible in your life. Hey, I want to go right into our uh, Brave New World series. We're on part two. We've been looking at the story of the... Part two, I've entitled, Full of Surprises. People who grow together, grow together in their crisis, in their story. There's a surprise hidden in a snowstorm. Come on, somebody. You didn't see it coming. Maybe those of you that have been lifelong Minnesotans, this one still surprised you, didn't it? Let's be honest. I've had snowstorm stories in my life when uh, I was younger. We lived in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and my grandparents lived in Bettendorf, Iowa, the Quad Cities area. And uh, we used to make the trip to go see grandpa and grandma. One trip, it was just my dad, my sister, and I, and we made the trip to see grandpa. And then on the way back, uh, we hit a snowstorm. And on top of that, our cars didn't always work. How many have broken down car stories in your history, right? And, uh, and so the car breaks down just outside of Michigan City, Indiana. And uh, a storm had come across Lake Michigan and it was, it was crazy and it was just bad timing for our car to stop. But here we are on the side of the road on the highway and we're stuck. My dad gets out of the car, a semi uh, driver pulls over in his truck and and uh, my dad walks up to him and the guy says, hey, I'll take care of you guys. So we left our car and as we're walking towards the semi, there's a major accident that happened on the highway to our side. As the semi was cut off and he went sideways and then he was flipping around and it almost hit us, but thank you Jesus, we were safe. We got into the truck and, uh, and it took hours because the highway was shut down and we creeped along until we finally got off to the next exit. And the truck driver had a, a room at the, tr- at, at the truck stop there, a little motel, and of course the rest of the motel was full. And we didn't know what to do, so this truck driver gave us his room. And we spent the night in that room and he went to his truck. The next morning we got up, my dad went to pay at the front and they said, well, you're paid. My dad said, well, where's the truck driver, the guy that had the room? He's, they said, well, we don't even, we don't have a record of a name or a person that did this. We don't know who you're talking about. And it was the very first time in my life that I feel like we saw an angel, that God had set us up with a moment, a story, if you will. You know, you might be logical in here going, well, that wasn't an angel. That was just a Minnesotan. We're all nice to people. Uh, You can have all your logic or whatever, but there was a shared experience between my dad, my sister, and I that bonded us together, and I carry it with me to this day. And that's what happens in crisis, in the middle of unexpected events, snowstorms, but you might have something a little bit more scary than a snowstorm. It could be a lost job. It could be a breakup of a marriage. It could be uh, bad news from the doctor about your physical well-being. It could be a phone call that you receive about a loved one who has died and gone to heaven. And you hit the middle of the storm and in the storm, it's very difficult to get your bearings and to figure out where am I going? Fear can take over. But what we see here in the book of Acts, and in fact, I want you to turn to Acts chapter two towards the end of the, in the book of Acts, you see a group of believers that are brave. They face one circumstance after another, and somehow they have a way of making it move forward. The fear doesn't shut them down. They have a way to proceed into the future. 
The Holy Spirit shows up at the beginning of chapter two and surprises the believers in the upper room. Really unique supernatural signs and wonders kind of break out and it was like the Avengers showed up in real life. And someone showed it on Instagram Live and it was viral and people were starting to show the event up at the event spontaneously. A crowd of thousands gather and Peter steps up to explain and preaches the first sermon about Jesus after his ascension. And Peter challenged the crowd to believe in Jesus and not only a few responded, but thousands. Look at verse 41, Acts chapter two. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. So in one day, in one moment, one surprise, they went from 120 people to 3,000. And the people who were believed were baptized, it says, and there was massive church growth. Then after the big event, this big, huge, supernatural event, they had to go home and the believers had to look at each other and they go, what's next? After the movie's over, after the graduation, when the snow melts, where do we go from here? And I want you to catch something we're gonna look at here in the next couple verses, is that what they learned here became a pattern for them throughout the rest of Acts, and it's a pattern that we can follow. And they followed the Spirit. They didn't have the answers for every circumstance, but they learned to follow the Spirit into a brave new world, and it resulted in new rhythms in their life. They were patterns that kept them on track, a frequency that helped retain attachment to the truth. And this is a big word, they were adaptable. They were adaptable, everybody said adaptable. Turn to the person next to you and say, I hope you're adaptable. Adaptable people are the kind of people you see in Acts. You show up, you don't, it wasn't like you thought it was gonna be at the beginning of the day, but you had to make an adjustment and they had a willingness to face the unknown. And there are tons of surprises that you will see throughout the rest of Acts. And they were adaptable and they followed the spirit. And there were a lot of things that they didn't expect. Ananias and Sapphira died on Sunday morning church. People died in front of them. Peter was thrown in jail. In fact, there's a lot of the scripture that's written from prison, from a jail. Surprising places. It wasn't in the synagogue. It actually happened in homes and in the street. There were surprises everywhere they went, healings and visions about reaching people that they previously would not have associated with, changes in leadership and uncertainty about who to trust. There were freak accidents, a shipwreck. People fell out of the window and died, and then they had to get raised from the dead. Have you ever had that happen to you? Good, neither have I. But here's the point. All that they learned, they learned, we can see in Acts 2.42. It's a new pattern of devotion that they developed. The first thing that you can see in verse 42, look at it. It says, all the believers devoted themselves. Everybody said devoted themselves. Okay, that, that, was it. that wasn't the leader. It was all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They were devoted. They centered their lives around these things. They're devoted to them. And because they were devoted to these things, they were able to navigate whatever storms came up over time. First thing that they were devoted to, it says, is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 
They actually listened to what the apostles said. Together, they were learning what they needed now, just, not just what they already knew. Think about this. They didn't know what to do. There was no church to go to. There was no online podcast. There was no uh, resources to download to your phone. All they had was the Old Testament, a story that didn't match everything that they had lived out in their religion up to this moment. And they had the apostles. And the apostles had heard from the Spirit. They had had the outpouring of the Spirit. And so the apostles would step up, they would lean in, listen to the Spirit, and then they would proclaim something to the people around them. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen in John 14. It says, when the Father, Jesus said, sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything I have told you. They learned to listen to the Spirit. And they didn't know what was gonna come, so when an event happened, a person was thrown into jail, or, or somebody died, or they had, to, they had to leave town because they were under persecution, or somebody had gone through a difficult experience, every single time, they kept going back to the Spirit, and then the Spirit would teach through the apostles. I want you to hear me. This is no different than today for us. My responsibility is not to give you the coolest sermon you ever heard on Sunday morning with the best stories. My responsibility isn't to make you feel really amazing on Sundays to come to church. My responsibility as a pastor is to go to my prayer closet, call out to the Spirit, the same Spirit that the apostles called upon, the same Spirit that Jesus said we would need, and say, Lord, what do the people of Emmanuel need today? My responsibility is to say, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And I have to be honest, there are times when I get overwhelmed at the complexity of a congregation in this day and age, the many different neighborhoods that people come from, the different life experiences, the different economic statuses, the, the, the life stories. Some people grow up in church their whole life and other people don't know anything about the Bible. And I have to put together a message on a Sunday morning. Let me tell you, if I only relied on my smarts, I would not be able to do anything on a Sunday. But because I go to the prayer closet and I say, Spirit, would you help me and lead me? I then come out and I preach what I think is good. I'm willing to give, give you my mistakes. I'm willing to stumble over my words. I'm willing to maybe not have the funniest talk on a Sunday, but I trust that I'm partnering with the Spirit, that He knows where you are and what you need in your story. I trust Him. And so the people here in Acts, they gathered together expecting the Spirit to lead them. Church, we can't just go on lazy mode into theater religion where we just come and we hear a good sermon, we break it down over lunch. What'd you think about what he said? I don't know, it was okay. I've heard him better. That's, our responsibility isn't to critique. We're so used to in a critical nation, used to giving four stars for one movie and three stars for another, and we break it down and we might miss the fact that the Spirit wants to lead you. The Spirit knows what you're gonna go through this week. He understands what your experience is. You need to hear the word, but you need to follow the spirit. Come on, somebody. That's what we need. Then they were devoted to fellowship. Everybody said fellowship. Now this is an old school word, fellowship. 
fellowship. It means relationships that are together. When I think of fellowship, I think of when I was a kid at potlucks. Anybody know what a potluck is? The casseroles and dessert dishes. And my dad made me always have salad before I got to get to the dessert. I remember those times when we had to connect to each other and hang out. It wasn't about whatever the teaching would be or the experience. It was about hanging out. There was something about the New Testament church. They needed to hang out and be together. They needed relationship. And relationships are built on shared experience. Relationships are built on shared experience. You don't have a relationship unless you share experiences together. Those experiences are really critical. It's not about... It's not about the event, it's about what you're doing at the event. So you got to go to a game. So you got to go to a movie. It's not about the movie, it's about the people you go with. And listen, you can make up experiences and have epic experiences in the middle of crazy times. All of us are gonna have a shared experience called the crazy April winter snowstorm of 2018. Do you remember what you were doing on that day? Do you remember how tall the snow was at the end of the driveway? Do you remember what it was like? People stuck on the side. Do you remember how, how people stayed home from church because they were freaking out? You know, you remember, you remember that day? A few weeks ago, um, one of my sons was bored. So I said, you know what? Let's go to Walmart. <laughs> we're gonna have like an epic experience at Walmart. You gotta know me, I'm not like a big time love, let's go to Walmart kind of person. But I was like, let's make it like, a, like an epic, you know, Discovery Channel experience, right? So he's like, well, what are we gonna buy? I don't know, but we're gonna, we're gonna scour Walmart. So we get out of the car and we walk in, we get a car and we're just going down aisles. I'm like, I wonder what's in this section. I've never been down there before. And we're like making up these experiences. Look at this on the wall. Would you ever buy this? No way. This is a lit. You know, and then you see somebody pick it up and put it in their cart. And you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> and here's the point. We walked out of there. I probably bought a few things I never would have bought before in my life. But the shared experience was more important than the run to Walmart and back. I think we miss our shared experiences around the dinner table in our houses. We can be in the same room and not be together. How, how is it that you can have people that are family that are five feet apart and one's on Facebook and the other's on YouTube and they don't even talk? And there is something about fellowship that requires connection to the other. And sometimes that means shutting down the things that stop us from having fellowship. Selah. <laughs> We need to find stuff to do together. And this is what I call Redwood Faith. You'll hear me talk about it all the time here at our church, but I love when we gather together as a church and we get an opportunity to worship and there's opportunity to preach in the altars. There's nothing that replaces the presence of God when we gather together. However, if that's all we have, we will fly like a bird with only one wing. We'll fly in circles. The other wing that we need is fellowship and relationship with people. It's the real life stuff, the connection. It doesn't have to be about something spiritual, but it's saying we're all together. Redwood Faith, the great redwoods out on the West Coast, they go hundreds of feet tall, but their roots only go eight to 10 feet deep. 
And the only way that they stand for centuries is that their root systems are interconnected. You need interconnected root systems in order to say you need fellowship. And it's fellowship is what you see in the New Testament here in Acts. You see what you see if you perhaps have ever watched the fellowship of the ring and Lord of the Rings. They're on mission, but they were doing it together. It's what Hebrews says in Hebrews 10. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Friends, you need fellowship. I need fellowship to the extent it's not about the service, it's about us. It's about us together on the journey. That's why we talk about connect groups, it's not about connect groups, it's talk about youth ministry, but it's not about a service for youth ministry, it's about the relationships that develop together. If you're a parent, you need other parents that are on a journey just like you are to encourage you. You might need a mentor that's older than you and go, you're not going crazy, it's gonna be all right. But we need each other. And friends, we need each other now. The third thing is that they were committed and devoted to sharing meals. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Including the Lord's Supper. Now there's something about the, you know, the, the early church, they actually ate together a lot. They were together, everybody said together. Not in separate rooms, not just through the drive-through, but they actually ate together. Why? There was conversation that happened around a meal. Jesus and his disciples ate together all the time. The one meal that we focus on most frequently, other than the feeding of the 5,000, is his last supper. And we call it communion when we do it in the church. But that can often uh, miss the point of what the context was. Communion, Jesus taking the bread said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me and eat it. They also said, this is my cup. And when he took the cup, he said, this is my blood poured out for you. And we can often think of that as an individual exercise. Me and God. God, I need you. I need your forgiveness in my life. I need you to put broken things back together again. I need healing or whatever it may. And we think of it as a kind of a cylinder between us and heaven. But in reality, the context of the New Testament, Jesus was used to meeting together. And he knew it would be important for his disciples to continue to meet together. So when you get together, this is what I want you to do. Remember me in your group. In the church world, we have kind of an individualistic world. We kind of do our own thing. We put our time in on Sunday morning and we get out to the parking lot before everybody else gets out so we can beat them to the road or to the restaurant or whatever it may be. But Jesus was saying, when you do get together, it's important, yes, to remember the Lord's Supper, to remember connection to each other, remember Jesus and what he did. That's the thing that binds us all together. But don't miss the fact that they actually met together for food. There was relationship around that. They needed each other. Well, often I'll, I'll go to a wedding and sometimes people will choose to have communion at a wedding. More, it's a great kind of challenge for me because I'm like, how can I have only communion on the platform with the couple and not have it with the people in the room. And the way I kind of reconcile that in my head is we're gonna have a reception later on. Come on, somebody. And we'll all eat and chill out. But the point I'm trying to make is, is that we actually need to be together in that. And together is better than alone. 
Together is better than alone. Say that with me. Together is better than alone. And when they did get together, because this was the unique fabric of their relationships, it unleashed unusual generosity and joy. And they sold property and possessions and they shared money with those in need. Look at verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. What a powerful, powerful expression. Because they were gathering together, because they were committed to each other, because the love of Christ was now inside of them, they simply shared. They noticed need around them. They cared for people. They didn't hoard it or doubt or question or get cynical about the people in the body. But they simply gave, and listen, because it was that kind of environment, it was attractive. People wanted to be a part of a group, not for the money, not for the gifts. They wanted the relationship that these people had. This is radical generosity and discipleship. You don't see examples where the early church is simply giving without a purpose. The believers are giving because someone else is lacking. And that genuine concern for the other is the core of the community. Let me just say this. I don't wanna, I can't go down this rabbit trail for long, but as a church, we must always care for people that are believers in the church, not just our church, but in our city. There are sisters and brothers in our city that are going through injustice and we need to care for them. They're going through pain that we may not feel. We might have abundance. They might have lack. We need to care. It's one of the great commitments that we have with Kingdom Builders is the local aspect. To care for our cities, our churches in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Many of them are churches that have different representations. We have Hmong brothers and sisters that have great need. We have African-American brothers and sisters in the city have great need. We as a church at Emmanuel in all three of our locations cannot turn a blind eye to the need of our sisters and brothers in the city. We have a responsibility to be generous in our prayer, our life, and our money. Give me an amen to that. Come on. Fourth thing that they were devoted to was prayer. There was daily corporate prayer. They worshiped in the temple and also house to house. And whatever they went through, they prayed. I don't have time to do a whole sermon on prayer other than to say it needs to be a regular part of all of our lives. Not just let Pastor Nate pray for me. No, you and I need to have prayer as a part of our daily life and our, our church life. So we need to have daily prayer. Prayer in the home, prayer with other believers, when you gather together with believers, perhaps your, your connect group is a bowling group or something, can you pause at some point in the night after you're celebrating your big score and how many strikes you got? And at the end, just gather together and say, how can I pray for you? And pray together. Can you pray in the ordinary daily stuff? Because that's what the New Testament church did. And they never knew what was gonna come out of it. And friends, Regular prayer about regular things 
prepare the church for surprises. Regular prayer about regular things prepare the church for surprises. It is really important before your crisis to develop a pattern of prayer, not just alone, but with other believers. Because it'll be natural for you then, when you do hit a crisis, to talk to believers and know you don't have to say it all, they're with you. I love it when I see the stories on Facebook or hear about it as a pastor. When somebody in a connect group has gone through a tragedy or something has happened and they had to have surgery and what, what happens, they show up at the hospital and the connect group gathers in prayer around them or they deliver a meal at the right time. And there's something about that group that is fashioned around prayer. They aren't denying the circumstances. They are together believing in God and loving each other and God leads them through. I know that that's how God can do it for us. Are you a praying person? Do they know you're praying? Because I hope you're the place where people come when there's a crisis. They went to this house, Peter did, and he starts knocking on the door of the gate. There's praying going on inside the house. A little girl, servant girl named Rhoda hears it and she walks out. And she leans into the gate and says, who is it? This is Peter. She recognizes his voice. So she doesn't open the door. She runs back to the prayer meeting. She goes into the house. She says, Peter's outside. They're like, no way. Did you know we don't always expect the miracle every day, but when we pray, it's kind of normal, just like you and me. And she had to convince them. And finally they go and they get Peter. And sure enough, it's him. Here's my point. The daily regular prayer that doesn't have any emotion attached to it, pays off when you hit a crisis. Because the same way you live before the crisis is the way you live through the crisis. And then you discover that there's a surprise in the middle of the crisis. What the devil meant for evil, God can turn to good. What you're going through doesn't mean it's the end of the story. If you lean in and you say, God, I'm trusting in you. If you open up the opportunity, instead of battling it in your brain, coming up with a strategy, going and getting a lawyer to get Peter out of jail, trying to figure out your way of doing it, maybe if you begin to pray, God would begin to let him out of prison on his own. And as believers, we know that there are people in your story, prodigal sons and daughters, people that are away from God, that are going through difficult things, then you go to bed at night and perhaps worry racks your brain and you feel it and you have anxiety over things that you cannot control. The best thing you can do is to turn it over to the Lord in prayer. And when you pray, he gives you a peace that passes understanding and it guards your heart and your mind. Thanks for listening to Emmanuel Today. For more messages, visit emmanuelcc.org.